But before we read that, let us say together the prayer for illumination that we've been saying together all summer. It's one that's printed in your bulletins. Please pray with me. Lord, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your book. Lord, open my heart that your truth would be my joy and my delight. Lord, open my mind that you would show me the way to live. Guide me by your spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we come to the second to last psalm in our uh, Psalms for the Summertime series. And as I've been saying, as we come to the end of this series, every one of these last psalms have been what we call formative psalms. These are psalms that when we pray them and when we study them and when we think about them, the Holy Spirit uses these psalms to form us, to give our lives a godly shape. And each one of these psalms that we've used at the end has formed us in a different way, has done something different in our lives. And Psalm 40 is no different. Um, psalm 40 is an amazing psalm. I could spend a lot of time on it, uh, which is why I'm only going to do the first 10 verses. The last part of the psalm is more like a lament, right? More like one of the, the sad laments you find in Scripture. We've already talked a lot about laments, so I'm, I don't want to do that part. The first part of Psalm 40 is different. It's doing and saying something we haven't looked at before, and so I want to focus on that. And to help us see how this psalm is formative, I'm going to read it in three parts. I'm going to read 1 through 3, then 4 and 5, and then I'll read verses 6 through 10, and I'll comment a little bit on each bit as I go through. So let's start with verses 1 through 3. And as I, as I read this, Notice that the psalmist is opening by telling us a story. The psalm starts with a story. I waited patiently for the Lord. And he turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock, gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Are you hear that? That's right. That's a story. It's the psalmist's story. Somehow the psalmist is telling the story of this great deliverance that God has worked in his life. And we don't know the exact details, but we know that something was going on in the psalmist's life that made him feel as if he were down at the bottom of a pit. Or maybe he was depressed. Maybe he was close to death and thought he was going to die and the Lord saved him from that. Whatever it was, God reached down into the pit, pulled him up, put his feet upon a rock, gave him stability, put a new song in his mouth, rekindled his joy. And now he's singing a new song and he wants everybody to hear it. Which brings us to verses 4 and 5. And what you'll see is the story ends, and now the psalmist draws some conclusions from his story. God acted with me in this way, and now I want to say some things about God's character. I experienced God this way. This is what it means about who God is. Blessed is the one who trusts the Lord, who does not look to the proud, 
to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you have planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. Okay, you can hear there, right, that the, the psalmist is now speaking of the character of the Lord, and he says, God, you are good. I trust you. You are a wonder worker. I can't even count the wonders you do, okay? So, so far, so good. So far as everything is clear, and now when we get to verses 6 through 10, things get a little complicated, and I want to set this up for you. So, the psalmist is as this story of deliverance proclaims God's character. And now the psalmist wants to make an offering, which is appropriate, right? God did something wonderful in my life. I want to give a thank offering to God. And if you know your Old Testament, you know that there was provision for that in the Old Testament law. You could give a thank offering, and most of the time what that was is you'd go to the temple and you'd give a sacrifice, usually an animal sacrifice, right? You know about those. But what you'll find is the psalmist says, I want to give a thank offering at the temple, but I don't want to give a blood offering. I don't want to give an animal. I want to give something else. Now listen as I read these verses and see if you can tell what that something else is. See if you can tell what the alternative offering is. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. I don't want to give a blood offering. But my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me on the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is written in my heart. I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and of your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. This is the word of the Lord. So what would you say that is the offering that the psalmist brings as an alternative to an animal sacrifice? I mean, most broadly, he brings his heart and himself, but more specifically, what does he bring? He brings his story. His story, coming from his heart, is his offering. He says, I'm going to go into the temple, and I'm, going to procl- I'm not going to hide this story in my heart. I'm not going to hide what you did for me in my heart. I'm going to go into the great assembly, into the congregation. I'm going to tell everybody about what you did for me, Lord. His offering is his witness. And, and this is interesting, he doesn't just speak his story to the great assembly it seems like he writes it down. It is written about me on the scroll. There's that strange little line, right, in the poem. What is that about? Well, the commentators think that what happened is that when people had something wonderful happen in their life, a God story, a deliverance, there was provision, part of the institution of the temple, is you could go into the temple and there'd be a scroll or maybe many scrolls and you'd write your story of deliverance down and leave it there so that future generations could come and they could hear your story. Future generations would hear about this deliverance and hear about the mighty power of God as it has moved in his people. So many would see and fear and turn to the Lord, as verse 3 says. So, if that's what that means, what is God forming in us 
as we read and pray and study this psalm. God is teaching me, God is teaching you to be storytellers, to be people who tell our stories, and most specifically, people who recognize those times when God is moving in our life and don't hide that in our heart, but speak it to others, witness to others, tell other people what God has done in our life. And Psalm 40 isn't the only place where the Holy Spirit is forming this kind of storytelling pattern in our life. There are other Psalms that push us towards exactly the same thing. Psalm 22. I will declare your name to my people in the assembly. I will praise you. I'll just keep my praise at home. I will tell others. Psalm 35. I will give you thanks in the great assembly. I don't keep my story to myself. I share it. Now, there's something about this pattern that changes and expands the normal way we do Thanksgiving. Psalm 40 is blowing open, widening our traditional way of doing Thanksgiving, okay? A lot of the time when we do thanks, we do what I would call closed circle Thanksgiving. Closed circle Thanksgiving. So your, your mom bakes cookies, and she says, here, son, have a cookie. And you take the cookie, and you eat the cookie, and you say to your mom, Thanks for the cookie, Mom. And that's it. It's a closed circle between you and your mom. Someone invites you over for dinner. You have a great time. You say thank you as you leave. Maybe you send them a thank you note later. And that's it. Closed circle Thanksgiving. God is looking for more than that. God is looking to bust open the closed circle. Look at how gratitude works in this psalm. First of all, where does gratitude come from? Where... Where does it spring up? It comes from God. God is the author of the thankful feelings you have. He's the one who puts a new song in your mouth. God's the one who put the new song in my mouth, okay? And why does he put that song in your mouth? It's not just so that you can tell him back, thank you, Lord. He puts it in your mouth so that you can tell others, so that it can go outside into the great assembly, so that many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Why is story selling so important? What does it do? Why does it matter that when God puts the fire of thanksgiving in our heart, he doesn't just want us to keep it to ourselves, but he wants us to invite others to warm their hands by the fire of our thanksgiving? Why? What does it do? A couple things. First, when we tell our stories and we do it with gratitude, the Holy Spirit uses those stories to create community. Community is created through the telling of our stories. I remember when I first came to the grave 10 years ago, and I walked into the narthex, and there was this swarm of people, I mean, just so many people. And I thought to myself, as you would too, how am I ever going to learn all these names? How in heaven's name am I going to do this? And so I would go, and I would cram the, the, the picture directory, right? I would do my best, and that actually helped quite a lot. But pretty soon you realize... A name is not enough. People don't want that you just know their name. They want you to know their story, right? And they want you to know their story is that there's two different levels on which that works, right? Um, you can tell me your story. Uh, I work at Gordon Foods. 
I, I grew up in Jenison, I have three sisters. Or, you can tell me your story. When I was 14, my sister died. And our family was a mess. I didn't know if we were going to make it. We had some good friends and a supportive church, and by the grace of God, we found joy again. See, there are stories, and then there are stories. When someone tells you what they do and where they're from, it's nice. When someone tells you how they were down in a pit and God brought you up again, the Holy Spirit uses that to create a bond that holds And that's the kind of story that David's telling, right? David doesn't say, hi, I'm David. I'm from Bethlehem. I've got seven brothers. I work at the palace. He says, no, I was down in the pit. And the Lord lifted me up. The Spirit is teaching us to tell our stories, and not just our ordinary stories, our deep stories. Now, of course, you can't tell those vulnerable stories to everyone. You can't all come up here and tell these deep, painful stories to everyone, right? There are boundaries, but you should tell it to someone besides God. A family member, a friend, a small group. Somehow that story must get outside the circle so that many will see and fear and learn to trust the Lord. So stories create community. Second, the Spirit uses our stories to show people and remind people that God is alive and that he is real and that he is working in this world and that he is active now, that God is on the move. Um, let me go back to that. Remember at the beginning of this sermon, I mentioned those scrolls that I think they think were in the temple, that people used to write their stories down so that future generations would know, so that they could come and read those stories of salvation. We have something like that at La Grave. I don't know if you know that or not. It's not scrolls, it's slightly higher tech. Um, Before COVID, and we want to start this up again, but before COVID, when Mike Hogeboom was still here, uh, he would sit people down, and we did this with about 20 of you, and interview you, and, and people would share their stories about what God had been doing in their life. Some of those stories were, were dramatic, some of those stories were, were, were plain like mine, but all these God stories of, of faithfulness, how I became a Christian, how God is working in my life. Guess what we called that project? The Psalm 40 project, right? For obvious reasons. It's not scrolls, it's on our YouTube channel. You can still find it today. Because the fact is, There are thousands of stories in this room, hidden in the heart of the person sitting beside you, are stories of God's faithfulness and grace. And some of those stories are small, and some of those stories are spectacular, some of those stories are incredibly sad, some of them are nothing but joyful, but all of them are little signal fires that God has lit in this world. All of them are signals God is sending and what he is saying through them is I am here and I am active and I am alive and my son is risen and you do not need to be afraid. The grace is all around you. It's just waiting to be told. Here's one of those stories. 
Someone in this church actually sent this to me a couple years ago after one of my sermons as a way of encouraging me, and so now I, I encourage you. It's about this person's mother. Her name was Elizabeth, and Elizabeth was a Hungarian immigrant, a Hungarian immigrant who immigrated from Hungary in 1930. So this is before Hungary fell under the spell of the Soviet Union, right? Before the Iron Curtain. She came to America, this Hungarian girl by herself, met a Dutch Christian Reform guy, and the poor dear ended up a Christian Reform person. <laughs> and so, but as she grew up and as she lived and raised her family here, she, you know, she thought about her family back home. She missed her family back home, and she was concerned about them, especially her brother Steve. Steve, when she left, had thrown away his faith. The family was deeply Christian, but in World War I, one of their brothers had been killed on the Russian front. And it hit them all hard, but it hit Steve particularly hard, and he just, he threw his face away. He cursed God and said, if God lets this kind of stuff happen in this world, I'm done with the church, I'm done with God, I'm an atheist. And when she left, he was completely in that mold. So she's living in America, she has very little contact, the Iron Curtain falls, she worries, she just figures, I've got to get back to Hungary. And in 1971, at the height of the Cold War, she manages to get a visa to go back to Hungary. And she goes back to the little town where she's from, and unannounced, they don't know she's coming, she shows up at their door. She shows up at Steve's door on a Saturday night. And of course, Steve is flabbergasted and hugs her, and invites her in and says, you're staying with me tonight. Well, the next morning she got up and she said, I'm warning you, Steve, I'm going to church. And so she did. She went to the little Lutheran church that was in the village. And lo and behold, Steve came along. And as the service progressed, she started singing the hymns. And she looked down the row and Steve was singing the hymns. And he was singing them with gusto. And then they went home afterwards and had a nice lunch after church and Steve opened his Bible at the end of the lunch and read scripture and prayed this beautiful prayer and as soon as he said amen, she said, okay, what happened? Steve told her that in the 1950s when the communists started to impose their rule, that he resisted the communists. He didn't like those communists telling his Hungarian soul what to do. And as a result, the communists did what they did, and they put him in a re-education camp for two years. For two years, they're going to teach him to think like a communist, teach him atheism, teach him all the party doctrine, and they did it at the end of a rubber hose. They would beat him and torture him to make him comply. Those were awful years, he said. It was if, as if I were at the bottom of a pit. But down there at the bottom of that pit, Everything was stripped away. He came to the heart of himself. He knew who he was and whose he was. He felt the weight of his baptism and the promises associated with that. God was down there in that pit with him and he lifted him up and gave him a firm place to stand and put a new song in his mouth and he was singing that song with gusto. I hear this story and I think that if God can find you in a re-education camp, he can find you anywhere. 
I hear that story and I am convinced that the promises of our baptism are the strongest thing in this world. Stronger than any communist regime or stronger than any other ism or regime or political movement that worries our souls. I hear this story and I think that God is on the move in this world. When that story was shared with me, it encouraged me and so I give it to you. So that you may see and fear and put your trust in your Lord Jesus Christ. Because it's in him, of course, that all the stories begin and end. In him, all things hold together. That story and all the thousands of stories hidden in this room, they're all bright little streams that find their source and their finish in the great river of God's covenant faithfulness. The story of his grace. To paraphrase C.S. Lewis in the words he used to end his Chronicles of Narnia, <clears throat> All our stories come together in his great story. A story which goes on forever and when, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Amen. Lord God, often it's only in this place that we can feel the weight and strength of your river. It's often only in this place that we can feel the weight and strength of your promises. It's in this place that we know we are held. Lord, we thank you for the promises that are ours in Jesus Christ our Lord. We thank you for the, the ways large and small that you've been with us. Lord, through many dangers, toils, and snares, through many dangers, toils, and snares, through tragedies, Lord, um, you are there with us and guiding us. Thank you for your story. Thank you for our story. And may our our, our lips never cease to proclaim that story to the world. Amen.